0: How Education Can Be Improved to Disrupt the Status Quo of Healthcare Education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. But I want to kind of pivot a little bit and kind of get more of, you kind of have touched on this throughout the earlier episode, but I want to kind of focus now a little bit more on um, the New York-New Jersey Consortium specifically to kind of get a specific overview of, kind of your guys' perspective and kind of all on the specific lines of what you guys have done in your consortia. So let's start at the beginning here. How does does your guys' consortia operate from like how often you meet, how long, like how you determine leadership, agendas, and just kind of that background information about how it operates?
1: Okay. So the way that we are structured is that we have an executive board that includes two co-chairs, a vice chair, a treasurer, a secretary and a clinical member at large, and that's kind of our executive committee. And then we have functioning committees within the consortium. So we have a research committee, a professional development, finance, public relations committee, and each of those committees has their own leadership. We meet formally three times a year. So twice a year we meet as a full group in the spring and in the fall. And then in the winter, we actually have a a video conference meeting. So to help with winter travel, it's a little hard in the upstate New York area. So we'll have two different sites that will teleconference. So we have three of these meetings throughout the year where we get together as the whole group and the executive committee will meet prior to that to set an agenda and we have a pretty set Structure of the flow of our meetings where we have our business meetings in the morning We update on what's going on with each of the committees Sometimes we'll have some in-service in the afternoon. We always have dedicated time at the meetings for our committees to work together because we recognize that all of these people are coming and we'll have these really rich discussions and great ideas of what people would like to do. But then when they leave the meeting, they kind of go back into their really, really busy clinical worlds and academic worlds. And so we've set time time aside at each of those meetings for committees to work. And then we have dedicated time at the end for discussions. So people can submit topics before the meeting of areas that they have questions or concerns about that they'd like to have a collaborative discussion towards the end of the meeting. So we do that three times a year. We are guided by bylaws that we have created for our organization to function. So that guides us a little bit. And a few years ago, we went through a pretty in-depth strategic planning process to really guide our mission and vision and the work that our committees are doing. So there is a lot of structure and that allowed us to really focus our efforts because as you can imagine, this group of people have a lot of ideas of what they want to do. And we do have some limited resources in terms of our time and what we can do. So we got together to make sure that we were using our time and energy on projects that were meaningful
2: for everybody in the group.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and to be honest, the next question I kind of had, you guys pretty much had, it covered, a lot of you have covered big aspects of this throughout um, earlier when you were kind of talking about um, various things that consortia can offer. Um, Was there anything that anyone did wanna cover that was unique compared to how your view of clinical education has changed since being a part of this consortium?
3: I think Kelly alluded to um, one of the things, having come from the clinical world as a site coordinator and as a clinical instructor and moving into academia, I truly thought being um, a DCE and clinical education, um, it certainly was focused on the student experience, um, but I did not have a real clear sense the level of partnership that needs to happen um, between the academic and clinical world. Because a lot of the DCs that I had worked with in the past when I was a clinician. Really was like, here's your student. It was focused on the scheduling. Um, I didn't know a great deal about the curriculum that these students were coming from. So I didn't have a lot of sense um, of what it could be, a real clear sense of what it could be. And once I joined the consortium, I did. I had had a much richer perspective of what the role should be and can be when you have partnerships between um, clinical and academic um, programs where you're truly working towards um, the best experience for the student, yes, and making sure you have enough placements for those students and those administrative pieces that are the minuté that we get caught up in, but that there's a much, much bigger picture about truly preparing physical therapists that um, are able to to be That next generation of responsive clinicians in an evolving healthcare environment, and uh, that—that's really what the consortia provided um, and continues to provide. Yeah, I would uh, add to that from my perspective. um,
4: You know, as Vicki was saying, when I took over this role as SCCE I was really focused on the administrative aspects of the role because first of all I didn't want to mess up I was new and I wanted to make sure everyone had a placement and every school knew that they were getting a placement and it was all done on time and that's what I was doing you know but then as I participated more in the consortium I realized my role as SCCE to prepare people to be better clinical educators and I didn't really realize that and I don't know that everyone you know necessarily focuses on that aspect of it. And that is so critically important. Learning how to assess someone else's performance is a skill and that's something that supervisors have. They do that all day long. So clinical supervisors and clinics, they do that all day long. But CIs are typically frontline clinicians and there's a reason that they don't want a brand new clinician to be a clinical instructor. It's not just yes, 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 okay, you're doing okay. We should be trying to bring our students to the highest possible level of clinical performance and that's a skill too. So learning how to, Um, set goals for the affiliation, learning how to help people progress along them and recognizing how to handle some of the issues along the way. So looking at the student, not just on their cognitive knowledge and how they're applying techniques, but also affectively, how are they interacting with people and giving feedback about that. And that can be uncomfortable for brand new clinicians, uh, clinical instructors. So I think that that's something that um that i real that my view of my role in that and where it fit in the bigger picture really changed once i was a member of the consortium and recognizing how much of a pt student's education is in the clinic and why it's so important that we're providing them great education in the clinic that really was honed for me once i was part of the consortium. And I also didn't recognize that there are areas that we're having trouble finding placements in. Um, so it's hard to find acute care placements. It's hard to find inpatient rehab placements. So you know we need to find ways to be better at providing those because the schools need them. Um, you know Not every PT that comes out is only gonna practice an outpatient. So um, that really opened my eyes and it helped me recognize what I could do to reorganize and provide as many students those inpatient opportunities as possible. So that was a real eye-opener.
3: One of the things that has come out recently that uh, Nikki and I have talked a lot about is some of that stigma of it's just Ed. You know, We are, as Angela mentioned, a third of the curriculum. Um, and what we do is so valuable. But when you're looking at the um, perceptions in traditional PT education, it's not always perceived in all academic programs all clinical sites as the valuable piece of that education of um, a physical therapist as it really needs to be considered. And the c- consortia is really empowering that way where we kind of demand it now that I don't know if I would have felt comfortable demanding that like this is an important part of our curriculum, we really need to discuss this more. Um, and I do think that that's really been probably the biggest thing is is that a consortium empowers you to realize that your role and clinical education as a whole is extremely important in the preparation of physical therapists.
0: So apart from what you guys have mentioned, what have been some of the biggest accomplishments that DOR Consortia has accomplished since it's kind of started? And, you know, what were some of the things that were really crucial in making those successful things and the successful accomplishments happen?
3: I think Angela and I will kind of talk to this a little bit. Um, From a just kind of checking off the box, there's been some tremendous things that we've accomplished just in the last few years. We've had three dedicated clinical education symposia that have been very successful and have brought clinical educators together um, for continuing education focused on clinical education. There have been numerous level one and level two credentialed CIP programs, clinical instructor training programs, we have nine credential trainers. Um, one is who is an actually an SCCE within our consortium, so that commitment to clinical education. We have uh, really developed and refined our web-based um, clinical education resources available to clinical instructors and novice SCCEs. We've had um, been very prolific in terms of research projects and presentations at, at a uh, regional, state, and national level. Um, Over the last five years, we've had seven peer-reviewed publications that have come out of consortia partnerships. We've had seven national educational sessions, platform presentations, and posters. And um, our research committee has been very focused on prioritizing and funding projects that have clinical um, members and academic members part of those projects. So those are some of the, just if you had to put them on paper, sort of um, accomplishments. Um, and as Nikki mentioned, we've had we've had several members on national level clinical education task forces and committees. and And this is huge, and it is. It's like, hey, I'm not in. I'm already on one. Who from the consortium is going to be on the next one? So we've really been very intentional. And if you look at some of the, um, the work that's coming out at a national level, there's a New York, New Jersey member on it, at least one of those. And we're very, very proud of that because our voice is present. And that's a lot of the reason the presentation you were at, Brandon, um, even occurred. Uh, we heard from a lot of people, you guys seem to be doing something right, you should really present on it. And at first we were like, well, you know, it's just what we do. We, we really don't want to tatter on a horn. But um, we heard from a lot of people, no, you should really share how you've been able to get to that point because maybe um, there's something that can be learned from that for other consortia. And so I really think that um, those accomplishments are huge. In terms of um, how, we, how we got there and the things that, that made it happen, um, Nikki alluded to the strategic planning and prioritizing our, um, our focus. Um, I think that's probably one of the really big things. And I think it's the trust that when you walk in the door, it's not about, you know, who just got my placement at NYU Rusk or whatever. It's been about um, what are we in it together for? How are we better as a whole? So I I think in terms of how we got there, it's, and and it goes back to the concept of, of, trying to to make sure that everybody has a voice. Um, Lonnie mentioned that Angela elbowed, her, elbowed him and said, you need to do this. I think we all do that. And we, we, we trust each other. You know, poor Kelly has been dragged into presentations. for like, you have so much to, um, to offer. No, you may not have never done that, but we'll guide you. We'll assist you. So I think that mentorship has been the reason it's happened. Um, you know, it's not just two or three people consistently doing things. It's, It's taking someone who has an interest and potential and saying, come on, you're going to do this with us. And then eventually they become the mentor. And that's been a really nice evolution that I've seen over the 10 years that I have been involved in ClinEd. Yeah, I think the one thing
4: that I would add to that is um, one thing that's been nice is It's not an accomplishment per se, but it's how we got there is that there is consistently at those bigger meetings, time set aside for groups to work together. And that's really how coming out of the strategic plan, our research arm really took off, I would say. Um, And those meetings, I remember there was a meeting in New Jersey and there was another meeting, like in upstate a little bit that particularly stand out in my mind where A big focus of the afternoon after, you know, Nikki took us through, you know, the morning we have some standing agenda items and we have more of our business meeting in the afternoon. We talk about different things. Well, we set these aside just With the intention of moving some of our research forward. And that's the work that you're reading about now. So um, it really started at the consortium meeting and I think dedicating the time to do that and being you know, intentional about following through on that strategic plan has been a huge accomplishment that I've seen in the years I've been part of this group.
5: As Vicky and Angela, have, have you, as you've drawn out from them, is that research is one of the cornerstones of this collaboration that's occurred because I think everyone who's listening knows that there's a clinical partner that has data that they're not quite sure what to do with or, and or they have a clinical question that they could use a collaborator to help answer and that's one of the magical points from, that comes from the New York, New Jersey um, consortium is that we're able to sit down and dedicate that time, which we don't have during our regular daily lives uh, as DCEs or SCCEs, and then sort of hash out, well, what are our priorities? Um, and then how can we do it? And who would like to go in on this together?
1: I just want to add one thing to listening to everybody right now I'm thinking of this group of people um, One of the other major, it's kind of funny to think of it as an accomplishment, but the other part of our consortium is that we have developed amazing friendship and amazing trust between all of us. And I think that has allowed us to be successful in so many ways, because if you're a new person that comes into this room with people who say, I have 15 years experience, I have 10, I have this, I have that. You come into our consortia and we just you're part of our family now, and I think we really make a strong effort to make sure that people are included, from people who are really new to their position and people who are really experienced, and we're just one group that enjoy working together and our inclusivity I think has really led to our success in so many of these
2: areas.
0: Well, I really appreciate those perspectives because I mean, there's a lot that you guys have unpacked throughout this entire episode already. And there's a lot that I've learned regarding just clinical consortium on the whole, but along specifically what you guys do. So I really appreciate you guys in terms of what you do and for coming on. And even for that presentation at ELC that kind of opened our eyes to this, but it it wouldn't be an HET podcast episode if we didn't ask our big finale question, because of course the podcast name is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, of course we have to answer this question. Now, I will admit, Lonnie, being you're a podcast veteran, and this is not your first time on this podcast, you cannot say your same previous answer um, when you were last on here, which you said last time was... I will refrain from that. Yes. So as a reminder, it was, uh, you wanted more breathing room and in, in DPT curriculum to allow the opportunity to have more unique experiences for students outside of their didactic and clinical education, along with creating optimal cultures in healthcare. Um, So I'm going to ask you for your number two, but the big question (laughs) that I'm going to ask you is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether that be physical therapy or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it?
5: This is the impossible question.
1: (laughs) All right, go, Go. go,
4: Angela, you go. So one of the things that I think about a lot is how um, how disciplines work together. And I can speak from the lens of being a PT and in the clinic. And back 22 years ago when I started working and I was a new physical therapist in acute care, um, if I was in the room and doing a session with a patient and, and, you know, working with them and there were rounds or physicians came in, I was expected to leave the room at that time. And now... The understanding of the importance of PT has gotten so much better that when they come to the room now when we're working with a patient, they say, we'll come back. This is very important and they encourage their patient to participate. So the culture has changed in such a wonderful and positive way. I would like to see better collaboration. I know this is starting to happen, but in terms of interprofessional education so you can get professionals before they graduate working together very intentionally on cases so that they can understand better how the different disciplines work together in the real world environment. Because I still think there's a somewhat siloed approach. I realize that every discipline approaches care from their own lens, and that's very important. But there's a lot that we can accomplish if we work together a little bit better. So I
3: think that that would be
4: great. And that's something that I would like to see.
3: I would completely concur with Angela that our opportunities in healthcare to focus on interprofessional education um, is really how we'll stay viable moving forward. We have to make sure that our partners, um, the other disciplines, the other professions that we work with understand what we do and how critical we are to that relationship. And that with the complexity in healthcare, we really have to be dynamic and, and, and um, adapt our role to the needs of our patients and um, teams that are going to look a little different maybe in the future than they do now. And it really behooves us to stay in tune to the pulse. And that means a lot of work across education um, at the clinic and academic level, um, you know, that it, we, we really can't be siloed. I think that uh, it's crit- absolutely critical, uh, a really valid point, Angela. So I'm going to follow up on what Vicky
1: said, and not necessarily specific to interprofessional education, but you know we know that academics, we can't educate our students to be clinicians without the clinical sites, right? Clinical sites can't hire new staff without academic preparation, but there still seems to be a disconnect in our mission and our visions. And I do wish for more of a collaborative effort in terms of a shared vision and equal investment from the academic end of healthcare education and the clinical end of healthcare education, that we were in this a little bit more together with a shared understanding of what both of our needs were. And I think we're getting there. You know, definitely in our region in PT, I see some amazing collaborations between uh, academic institutions and healthcare centers that have a focus on education, but it's not pervasive yet. And so I would love if there was a little bit more of a shared vision between the academic and the clinical side on how we're educating the next
2: generation.
5: I've begun focusing on teaching my my students more about 360 degree leadership, meaning so when we take it from interprofessionalism, but but not just working with other people, but understanding the needs of other people. Because if we want physical therapists to be the leader in certain movements, let's say early mobility in the hospital, you need to be able to address the needs of the of the uh, of the attending or the or the resident physicians. You need to be able to address what are the needs of nursing who don't need one more thing on their plate, right? Um, what are the needs of the administration that would like to see a dollar sign put to that? So to develop students that sort of have at least an initial understanding that to, to be a leader, you need to look below you and above you and around you and sort of be able to address the needs of those people.
0: All right, I love it. And Kelly, what about your answer? If you could change one thing about help education, anything at all, what, what would you like to see different?
2: Um, I look, couple things that I don't really have solutions for them so (laughs) Um, I'd love if I did but one of the things I hear a lot from the students is their debt coming out and that's a big topic that um, they're talking about a lot so I'm on the curriculum committee here at the PT school um, to try to help with that and I know we're looking at redundancy and some of the um, courses to see if there's any way to streamline the curriculum in an effort to decrease their cost as far as the number of courses they have to take. Um, So that's, I guess, my partial solution for what we're trying to do, but that's one of the things that um, I hear a lot from the students um, is their debt. And my other bias based on my own clinical um, area that I'm interested in is healthcare in general, trying to be more holistic, integrative. Um, I'm really interested in functional medicine and trying to focus on the whole person And the physiology and not the pharmacology so much, which I feel is drilled into the residents a little bit too much and as a little bit of a detriment to our patients sometimes trying to look at the whole picture. And I think our PT students do a much better job at that because we come at it from that angle because, you know, we're not prescribing medication, but I feel like healthcare in general could be a little bit more focused on that, but I'm not really sure what the solution is to that because it's a time issue and a financial issue for reimbursement. So I don't have a solution, but that's my dream.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate that because honestly, the points and that you each had said have come up certainly rather frequently throughout the podcast on that last question. I will honestly admit student debt is by far the most common answer that is commonly referenced, but interprofessional education or more improvements in that avenue is certainly a very high, frequently frequently named one as well. So I think you, those are all some really, really valid points and suggestions that you guys have mentioned. Um, but you know, again, I'm very thankful for you guys taking the time for all that you guys do um, with everything regarded to your programs and clinical education. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming on today, and it's such a pleasure to have you guys.
1: Thank you, Brandon. Thank you.
0: Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere healthcare. A telehealth platform is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the
5: content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HETpodcast, on Instagram, H-E-T podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com.
0: And for those of you following along in the syllabus... Extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review.
5: Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.